All right, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish up 1 Peter chapter 2 this afternoon and look at another section of this, uh, this kind of encouragement on, on, on how, a, how a Christian in persecution or how a Christian that is going through wrongdoings um, should see the, the people that are doing those wrongdoings. It, it's, it's interesting to me that, that many books in the New Testament start out like this. They're, they're theoretical, if you want to call them that. They're theoretical in, in the first section, and then they're practical in the last section. You have passages like uh, the, the entire book of Romans. You get up until about chapter 12, and then once 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, they're all about practical, here's how to do what I've just told you. And that's kind of the way that, that communication works. You, you give them, you give someone what you want them to do or how you want them to think, and then you give a practical explanation of that. Well, Peter's similar to that, but it's almost as if he does that every single section, not just the, the whole book, but every section. He goes through kind of a theoretical of, you need to get rid of these mindsets, 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 12. And then verse 13, he goes into, here's, now here's how to do that. Here's how you should be acting toward these people. So I just want to read this section very quickly. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise to those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when... Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But what if, or sorry, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For, this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But his wound, by his wounds, we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All right, so the first part of this, he says, here's how you need to act, or here's how you need to think. You need to get away with, get, put away all malice, all deceit, all slander. You need to not push back against the people that are harming you in such a way that it harms the cause of Christ. And then the latter part of the chapter, he says, now here's how you do this. And he says, verse 17, that I want you to honor everyone Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The word honor there is pretty interesting, at least to me. Remember, these people are, have been exiled for their faith. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, what we're, gonna, what we're studying in 
the book of Acts in uh, Sunday morning Bible classes. They've been persecuted to the point that now they're scattered. That, that Christians, after they came together at Pentecost and were converted, it seems like they stayed around there for a little bit. Maybe they're, the, the new church is trying to get used to how this is supposed to work. Maybe they plan on staying there forever. We don't know. But for whatever reason, they stayed. And then in Acts chapter 8, they start figuring out it's easier, it's easier for them to get us all in one place. And so they move, they leave, and they scatter abroad. First Peter chapter 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So these are, these are the people, these are the Christians who ran from Jerusalem in the dispersion. These are the Christians that ran for their lives when Saul was coming for them or when other Jews were coming for them. You have to remember, though, that while the Jews were persecuting them and while the Jews were doing this by the authority that was given to the Romans, the Romans are the ones that gave them that authority. Had it been for the Romans saying something contrary to what the Jews were doing, they would have stopped immediately. I mean, you, you see that in, in, in Ephesus. They get to Ephesus, they start, they, they start screaming in the temple, or in the, uh, in the theater, great is Diana, God of the Ephesians, right? And they come together and say, listen, we can't, we're going against the Roman rule now. Up until this point, we've been doing it under the guise of Roman law. But now, we're breaking outside of what Romans allow us to do. So, in the end result, the emperor was the one that was allowing this to happen. It's the same thing that you see in, uh, in the Bible when it says that God, uh, God caused some famine or God caused some wrongdoing. He didn't actively do it. He allowed it to happen. And so the, the emperor is this person. And he says, I want you to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, that's the church, fear God, respect him, and honor the emperor. That word honor there is, is interesting. In John chapter 5, it's used to talk about what God deserves. John five twenty three: The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So honor is something that we're supposed to give to God, that God deserves. Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. Honor your father and mother. So it's something that God deserves. It's something that we should give to our father and to our mother, to our parents. Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, they also honored us greatly. When, they were about to, when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So there you go. You have God deserving honor, the parents being commanded to have honor, and then ministers of the gospel getting honor from people. And in Acts 28, it even says that this honor was was shown in a physical thing. It wasn't just a, wasn't just a pat on the back and you're doing a great job. It, it, was, it was a physical thing. Acts 28 and verse 10. They put on the ship whatever they needed. And a lot of times we'll use this passage to talk about taxes. But keep this verse in its context. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. These people are being tortured, are being persecuted... Because the emperor is allowing it to happen. And he says, I want you to honor that emperor. It's one thing to not be bitter against people that are doing wrong to you. It's another thing to 
honor them. And and I want to go to three instances in the New Testament where we see Jesus doing this. And they're all from the cross. You know, he, he had seven sayings from the cross. Seven different statements that he made while he was on the cross. It is finished. Father, why, why have you turned your back on me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But these three specifically relate to what we're talking about. Remember, he used Jesus as an illustration in this section. He says, verse, um, where is it? Verse number 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And deceit is one of these things that Peter says we're supposed to get rid of, Right? So how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus get rid of the deceit in his his mind? I mean, listen. Jesus never sinned. There again, there is a line that every person understands between being angry because of wrongdoing and sinning. Jesus was angry because of wrongdoing on multiple times. I mean, I, I always say the joke, you know. WWJD, just remember that making a whip and flipping over tables is possible in WWJD. Because there's a line there. Jesus was angry a number of times, but he never sinned. How did he keep this anger inside of himself and to the level that was appropriate so that he didn't end up sinning? Okay, So, number one, Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father... For the, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. All right, number one, the first thing that Jesus did, he realized that they didn't understand. Paul doesn't get a bad rap anymore because he became a Christian. But what we talked about in Bible class this morning, isn't it, first off, isn't it interesting that, that you can't tell me it's not providentially, but isn't it interesting that oftentimes Bible classes match up with worship services? We didn't plan it, but it works out that way. It's because it's providence. God, God is not an unintelligent being. But anyways, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 7, Paul is at the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 8. He's then persecuting the church. Acts chapter 9, he's converted. And after he spends some time in Arabia, out preparing to be a Christian, preparing to be an apostle, after he spends that time, he comes back. And Barnabas takes him to the church and says, listen, it's safe to allow Paul back in worship. It's, a, it's safe to allow him into worship, not back into worship. Imagine you're sitting in the worship service when Paul walks in and Barnabas says, listen, everybody, it's okay. Um, he's, he's, he's one of us now. It's okay. And then Paul sits next to Stephen's widow. Just imagine you're there. That, that, would, that alone shows you the grace of God. But... Paul didn't know what he was doing. He thought he was doing what was right. In fact, in front of the Sanhedrin at one point, he says, I've followed the law of our fathers up until now with good conscience. I I thought I was doing what was right. I mean, the Old Testament says this. If there's a false teacher, you stone him. If there's a false Messiah, you stone him. Because we can't have that sort of thing in the Israelite nation. Because it's going to confuse people. 
And there's, there's people that are pretending to be God himself. Paul said, I, I thought what I was doing was right. You see, number one, what Jesus did on the cross was he realized that they, they did not understand what he was doing, what they were doing. Now the question then arises, were they actually forgiven for what they were doing? I believe yes. And here's why. The Romans didn't understand what they were doing. The Jews did. The Jews knew better. The Romans thought that maybe we might be, we might be killing a, 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 an innocent man here. But the Jews are saying he's not innocent. And we don't really understand. You see, the number one thing he did was realize that, that these people may not understand the full context. A lot of times when people persecute the church, when people talk bad about the church, it's because they just don't understand. I can show you numerous times where a person will say something against the Christ, against the gospel, all because they just don't understand. They may not understand who God is. They may not understand how God works. They may not understand one thing or another. But the reason they say it is because they just don't understand what they're saying. It's those type of people that can be contacted with the gospel and will understand eventually. When I first became a Christian, I had a friend who was, who was very adamantly against Christianity, against religion in general. And we kept talking and kept talking. And he never obeyed the gospel, at least not yet. But eventually he stopped using certain arguments. Like, well, you say you believe the Bible, why don't you just stone every person that doesn't obey their parents because that's what they did in the Old Testament, right? And eventually, I was having a conversation with someone else and Patrick was there and he heard someone say something like that. And Patrick, a non-Christian, are you ready for this? A non-Christian said, no, 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 you can't make that argument because Lee goes by the New Testament, not the Old Testament. And here's why. The Old Testament was perfect for what it did, but then when Jesus came, the New Testament... A non-Christian atheist, a militant atheist, said that statement because he then understood, right? If I had written him off and said, well, he just hates the church, he never would have learned that. Eventually, hopefully, I hope he becomes a Christian. But you see, a lot of times they just don't get it. They just don't understand. And that's the people that you can contact. Number two, Luke chapter 23, verse 43. He said, in today, so truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. All right, number one, he realized that they may, not just, they may just not know, know what they're doing. And you have to keep the seat, you have to put these out of your mind because maybe they just don't understand. Number two, he wasn't focused so much on the physical, he was focused on the eternal. While he's being made fun of by the robber, the man on the other side, is obedient, at least to some degree. He's penitent, at least. He was looking at eternity. Number one, if, if you want to know how to put the deceit out of your mouth, number one, you have to realize that maybe they just don't understand. Number two, you have to look at eternity. Because the fact of the matter is, even if it is physical death that we're, that we're going through as persecution, even if it is that bad, relatively speaking, it's not that bad. Because remember what Paul said? That I want to go to depart to be with Christ, but 
I think it's, it may be better for you if I stay here. But I really want to go to be with Christ. But I know that you need me more, so I'm going to stay here. You see, he realized that no matter what was happening outside, he had the right focus. And Jesus did as well. Number three is from John 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and his disciple, in whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Number one, you've got to realize that they may just not understand what they're doing. Number two, you've got to keep your, keep your eyes on heaven. Focus on the eternal, the, the First Peter chapter 1, that this is building for you salvation. Number three, look for the people that actually need help in this. Let's face it, Christians are, for the most part, stronger mentally than most people. For whatever reason, I, I can't really pinpoint it, but if you meet a Christian, most of the time, they are stronger mentally than other people. Maybe it's because we have gone through things. Maybe it's because we have the right worldview in, in, in mind and we're looking toward heaven. Whatever it is, a lot of times there are people, even in the church, that need help with this. That maybe they just... Maybe they aren't as strong as us. If it ever came to the point where the church was being persecuted, actually persecuted, I would hope that the strong would encourage the weak. But that doesn't just go for persecution. That doesn't just go for wrongdoings. Romans chapter 14. You have a person who has a scruple. Something that is not necessarily law, but... Because of one reason or another, maybe their upbringing, maybe their background, maybe their temptations, whatever it is, does not participate in something. What's the stronger's job to help the weak? Notice that in Romans 14, the person that has the problem with something is called the weaker brother. A lot of times we'll think, oh, well, I'm, I know, I understand more, and so I'm the stronger brother because I have this, I, I, I stay away from this because I can see what it does. Well, in fact, Romans 14 says that the person that has the scruple is the weaker brother. And because of that, it's the stronger Christian's job to, one, not make them stumble, but two, help them grow in that. Help them grow up in that. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that a scruple, that a personal, conscientious objection for one reason or another is supposed to be the end result. Nowhere. We find that you're supposed to grow and learn and realize and eventually get to the point where you understand the difference between personal conscience problems and gospel truth law. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He helped the people that are in need. How was he able to sit on the cross, die on the cross, and not have deceit found in his mouth? Listen, I'll be honest with you. If it had been me on that cross, I'd have been telling them what for. You, you think you can keep me on this cross? Watch this. Boom, I'm off. And then you've got a problem because there's two rules. You better hope it kills me and you better bring an army, right? And so that, that's... But Jesus kept that from happening. He kept his anger to the point where it did not sin. And that's different for every single person. It's different for every person. But because of his actions, because of his, his focus on 
what was actually happening, his focus on the people that needed help, and his realization that people may just not know, know what they're doing, he was able to escape the crucifixion without having sin, which is tremendous in my opinion. So that's how First Peter says, here's the actual implementation of what we talked about this morning. You've got to get rid of these things. And, and we talked about, it's an instantaneous, you're just over it. You're done with it. Christians have to be mentally strong enough to make a decision and immediately stop it. It's harder than it sounds. I understand that. But here's how he did it. He kept his mind on the right things. He looked at heaven. He looked at knowing that they just, did, they just didn't get it. They, they didn't understand. And he was looking for people that needed help in this. And that goes, there's a lot that we can learn in this. And I know we, we don't have very much time, but there's a lot that we can learn in these, this section of not only how to go through wrongdoings, how to go through trials or, or how to go through grief that other people are putting on us. There's a lot that we can learn about how we can help each other as Christians. Maybe if we even haven't sinned against one another, we can still help each other by doing those things. So if you need to repent of sins or or confess Jesus Christ and be baptized for the remission of your sins, uh, we're going to stand and sing a psalm of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.